Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. We are in a new series about the life of Samuel, and last week we looked at Samuel's birth. We were, were focused in on how Hannah, Samuel's mom, had come to the Lord in her distress and pain. Hannah was tormented by her sister wife at the time. Uh, she had a sister wife, and Hannah had no children. And they would go up to the temple every year. And Hannah, in this one year, is what the Bible records, is that she comes to the Lord in absolute anguish. She is mourning and absolutely heartbroken. Her desire is to have a child, and culturally, she needed to have a a child back then, specifically a male child, um, because if she would ever lose her husband, she would be with nothing. She would have to fully rely on the charity of just others. Well, anyways, she goes to the Lord, and she prays, and she cries out to the Lord, and the Lord hears her cry and gives her a boy. And she said, this boy, I dedicate this boy to the Lord. He is going to be fully the Lord's. And it's quite amazing at you see this faith in her is that she wants one so bad, but then the moment the Lord gives her one, she says, Lord, he is fully, fully yours. And the challenge was last week was for us churches, how do we look at our kids? Not just our kids personally, but how do we view children in this church? Do we see them as the Lord very well may maybe having a calling upon their lives? And how can we as a church constantly be encouraging our kids to be seeking out the things of the Lord? And maybe even some of them have a calling into missions or pastoring. And, and, and just so often we don't even think about that within churches. But that was our, our, our challenge and our encouragement. Well, this week, we are going to continue on looking at the life of Samuel, and i got to give you some more context to what is taking place, because I think it's really important that when you read the Old Testament, and I'm, I'm sure some of you have read parts of the, of the Old Testament, or hopefully, hopefully all of it here, but when you read it, do you ever read it and just think, what's happening here? Like, it's like, what's going on in this story that I am currently reading? And, and so I think context is really, really important, and that is why I always try to bring you guys context to the verses we are going to be reading every single Sunday, because it helps us understand what is happening at the time, what is, what is taking place, and what is the Lord doing in the midst of what we are reading. So Samuel, Samuel got dropped off by his mother to the temple. Uh, it sounds kind of crazy, but the Bible says that she weaned him, and then she brought him to the temple, and she said, Eli, this child is yours. You're going to raise him up in the ways that the Lord would have for him. And as you look at 1 Samuel, especially the first seven chapters, you will see a phrase that constantly comes up within Samuel's life. And it, and it says this over and over. It says, Samuel was ministering to the Lord. You will literally read that line as you are reading it. It, it just constantly brings this idea up that, that he is constantly ministering to the Lord. Now, when you first think of that word ministering to the Lord, 
you kind of think, well, when somebody ministers, they are serving someone. And the Lord, he doesn't need anyone to possibly serve him because he has all that he has. But a better translation would actually be he was ministering with the Lord. And what that basically means is that from Samuel, from a young age, as he was growing up, he was constantly learning what it was and what it was like to be a priest of God at that time. He was getting the offerings ready and the, the, uh, getting the animals ready for sacrifice, praying on behalf of God's people. And this was Samuel's position from a very, very young age. Like what I said, his mom and dad brought him to the temple, literally says once he was weaned, and left him off there. Now, I do want to warn you, I don't want to start that practice at Woodland Church. I'm just throwing this one out there. You've got kids, and some of you new, new moms might be sitting there thinking, how can we dedicate this child to the Lord? I got a great idea. I'm going to hand him over to Pastor Jeff. <laughs> Terrible idea. Our church, we have no shower here. We have no means for that. Your kid would be growing up on coffee and whatever snacks we have for kids' church. But it is interesting, and, and I bring that up because we need to understand this was the life Samuel and his mom dedicated him to. Samuel, this is going to be who you are. You are going to learn the ways of the Lord. And I mentioned this last week. As Samuel was getting raised up by the priest Eli, Eli is a major figure within this story here because Eli had two sons. And I mentioned this last week. His two sons weren't even worth a nickel that you could possibly rub together. And I don't mean to judge them and pick on them, but Bible clearly says that they had no respect for the Lord. They did not follow their priestly duties. They slept with all different types of women outside of the temples at the time. And the original plan back then was if your dad was a priest, your sons would become a priest. But the Lord spoke and said, this is not going to be taking place here, Eli. Your sons do not honor me. They do not respect me, and I'm going to simply cut them off. And we know that in the culture of the time, because as you read the book of Judges, the men and women at this culture, they did whatever they wanted to do. The Bible says that whatever was right in their own eyes, that's how they lived. Whatever was true for me, you could basically translate it to modern day Whatever your truth is, right? You probably hear that a lot within our culture. Well, this is my truth. Well, Eli's sons, there's the truth, and they had completely abandoned God. Well, what had happened, and this is the story leading up to what we are going to be reading today, is that the Philistines were coming to battle against God's people. And Samuel's two sons, who have no respect for the Lord, they are at battle, and they are losing this battle. They're losing. So they've got this genius idea. You know what we need to do? We need to go and get the Ark of the Covenant, which is where the Ten Commandments are, and we can go into that more. But, so they go and get this Ark of God that, that, that was supposed to be like set apart. Like, say, this is not something that you just mess with in your life. And they said, you know what? We are at battle. We are losing. We got to bring this ark out to battle. And this ark is going to save us. God is going to save us by us bringing this ark to the battle. And what takes place is that they go to battle. The Philistines crush them. The Philistines 
take the Ark of the Covenant. This is a huge deal. Very, very big deal here. They literally take this from God's people. And what, and actually, what takes place after that is the Philistines, they don't really know what to really do with this Ark of the Covenant there. So they bring it into one town, and they literally set it in a place where they have two statues of their gods in this town set up. And overnight, those statues break apart and bow down to the Ark of the Covenant. And they wake up, and they're like, well, this is kind of weird. This is pretty like terrible. Let's, let's, let's ship this thing off to the next town. So they ship it off to the next town. And then in that town, the people, the tumors break out amongst the people. And the Philistines say, we cannot keep the Ark of the Covenant with us. We must bring this back to God's people. So that's what they do. They literally haul the Ark of the Covenant back to God's people. And they're like, listen, take this. I, I, I don't want it. Uh, our statues broke apart. We got tumors going on. This is, this is terrible for us. And this is where Samuel speaks. So I realize that's a lot of background. And I hope you're still with me here. But stand with me as we read 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 3 through 11. And this is Samuel's first message to the people. He said, And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreth from among you, and direct your hearts to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtoreth, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered all so they, so they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel in Mizpah. Now the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered in Mizpah, and the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And the people of Israel heard it, and they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. And Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, and the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines, and threw them into confusion. And they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as Bethkar. Father, we come, Lord, we look to your word. Father, minister to our hearts today. Father, re remind us this day who you are. Father, help us to draw near to you. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So just before this, the Bible records that there is a 20-year span from the time when the Ark of the Covenant returns to God's people and when Samuel says these words. If you look at 1 Samuel 7, between verses 1 and 2, 20 years takes place. And what it says there is that when the Ark of the Covenant came back home, 
The people lamented after God. That they were so heartbroken. And this was such a big deal that the ark was taken from them that when the ark returned, Scripture says that they lamented for 20 years. And they were crying out to the Lord. And, in a, and it is in that context that Samuel stands up. It's within that context where God's people, whose hearts were far from him for so long, who the priests at the time were not even honoring God with anything, and it was in that time when Samuel speaks. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel in verse 3, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods of Ashtoreth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. You know what is so interesting about Samuel's words here? Is that these words are the words that God's leaders constantly said to God's people. His words are literally nothing new. It, it is not like, like Samuel all of a sudden being like, man, I got this great idea. Maybe I should tell the people to serve the Lord only. As you look at all of the Old Testament, you can see this time and time again. God's leaders are constantly saying this line over and over. A couple of examples. Jacob, Genesis 35. So Jacob said to the household and all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you, and purify yourselves and change your garments. Joshua 24, which is one of the most quoted out of, out of Joshua, Joshua 24, 14 and 15, says this, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. In verse 15, like I said, one of the most famous ones. If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Samuel takes this stand. And Samuel takes this stand before God's people and says, listen, You've got to serve the Lord only. You've been serving too many other gods. You need to turn your hearts away from these other gods and serve the Lord only. See, the problem back then wasn't just so much that God's people would abandon the Lord. The problem was, was that they would say, hey, we, we still believe in the one true Lord. But they would also add all these other gods to their lives. And one of the biggest ways that they would do this is that culturally, they would follow the gods of the culture. But when crisis hits, they would then call upon the Lord. And you will see this time and time again as you read the Old Testament. And what would happen is that they would go to war. And they would call out to the Lord. Were they calling out to the Lord the day before? Nope. But now a crisis hit. Now something major happened in their lives. These Philistines are coming. We need the Lord. All of a sudden, we suddenly need you, God. Don't you see that we need you? But 
in their everyday life, they were practicing and living out the gods of the culture. And it's interesting at how Samuel points out a couple of gods here. And I don't want to get into too deep into Greek mythology, which is where these gods lead to. But he calls out two of them at the time. And it says, Baal and Ashtoreth, or Ashtari. These were the two chief male and female god, god and goddesses at the time. They were often companion gods that you would see play out together in those days. These gods at the time would represent many things, fertility, sex, war, the sun, the moon, and a slur of other things. And the worship of these gods often played out in really two major areas, child sacrifice and sexual immorality. And as you read later on, when you get to the Greek culture, Baal became Zeus and Ashtoreth became Aphrodite. So these, these gods that Samuel was calling out back then, these fake gods he calls out back then, lived on within the culture around God's people. And, and I bring this up because God is constantly telling his people, and I've said this many, many times, he's constantly warning his people, listen, you've got this culture around you. You are my people. My people are going to be set apart for me. Don't buy in to the culture around you. But so often, so often, time and time again, they would get caught up in the culture. They're worshiping Baal. They're making sacrifices there. They're doing all of these cultural things. But like what I said, crisis hits. And then all of a sudden, we're a nation that serves one God. Right? It's like, on Monday, I was down at the pagan temple sleeping with a prostitute. But Friday hits, and man, life's falling apart. I'm going to call out to Yahweh. And this was the culture that they were living in. And you see this play out within Eli's sons. It literally says Eli's sons would go down to the temple and sleep with the prostitutes down there. These were the priests at the time. These were the, these were the men who were supposed to know the Lord, who were supposed to be making offerings to the Lord. But the culture influenced them. And what would happen time and time again? And guys, this is how it would always play out. Crop season comes. We better give a little offering to Baal. Yeah, we got God. But Baal is kind of part of the crop season, so we, we should probably just give a little offering to Baal. Well, a little unplanned pregnancy down at the temple because you were sleeping with a prostitute? Literally. Well, that child could be offered up for a child sacrifice. You know, because, I mean, it was just culturally this took place, this kind of happened here. Ah, however this plays out is going to be playing out. And in Samuel's time, they get totally devastated by the Philistines. And the Ark of the Covenant gets taken. And when that Ark shows back up, the people spend 20 years, 20 years. I realize that when you read Scripture, you read from one verse to the next, like that's just instant time. But Scripture says there's 20 years of the people. They mourned and lamented for God. God, we have really messed up. Lord, Lord, we... We have totally messed up here. And then Samuel stands up 
and says, listen, get rid of these idols. Get rid of these, of these fake gods. Toss them out. Stop serving them. Don't give another offering to them. And it's interesting how Samuel is drawing God's people back to simply honoring the first two commandments God gave them, which is this, Exodus 20. says, you shall have no other gods before me. They did. They had many gods before him. Verse 4, you shall, make for your, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or earth beneath or in the waters below. And they did. But what is so amazing, guys, is that God never gives up on his people. His people eventually cry out to him. And Samuel actually makes a promise here. He says, if your hearts are all his, if you've gotten rid of these other gods and this other worship that you've been dabbling in, he says, he will deliver you from the Philistines. See, in the past, right before this account takes place, in the past, God's people went to battle with the Philistines and they got conquered. The reason why is because this is what God does. God says, you want to honor these other gods? You want to worship Baal? You want to make some offering there? Okay. All right. Let's see if Baal saves you. Well, newsflash, Baal isn't real. <laughs> like, like, it's like, it's like uh, so God said, okay, you want to worship Baal? You want to worship these other gods? These are going to be the consequences. My protection's gone. Let them save you. Go ahead. So what happens is that God's people just get decimated. And then they repent, and they throw out Baals, and they throw out all their little statues, and they get on their knees, and they mourn for 20 years and say, God, I repent. I come to you, Lord. In which what, what we see in this story is how this plays out. God's people turn back to him. They turn from their wicked ways. And look at how this story plays out. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 7, from what we read. Now the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered in Mizpah, and the lords of the Philistine went up against them. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid. They're still learning. They're still growing. But it says that they were afraid of the Philistines, and the people of Israel said to Samuel, Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord for us, for to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. Well, two verses before that, Samuel already said, God will save you from the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel. And the Lord answered, and I love this, verse 10. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion that they were defeated before Israel. See, Samuel here continues to cry out, Lord, save your people. They have been lamenting for 20 years. They've turned back to you. 
Lord, save them. He makes this offering up to the Lord, which was tradition at that time. And it says that as he was making this offering, the Lord thundered with a mighty sound. You can, you can physically picture this scene playing out, okay? The Philistines have gathered. They know where God's people are. The last time they went to battle, they beat them. They beat them so bad that they could take the ark from them. That's a terrible beating. So they are getting ready for this battle scene. They're coming in on the people of God. And then all of a sudden, the thunder. I picture this, guys, as a beautiful blue day. There's not a cloud in the sky, and the thunder strikes. It was almost like the Philistines were caught in the middle of a railroad track. They were looking around. They had to turn back. Their minds raced. They kept on thinking, where could we go? They knew they knew that there was no help from their gods. Their hearts were beating, but the thunder of the Lord, their hearts were torn apart. They were even possibly shaking at the knees. Why? Because they had been thunderstruck. You guys might think that could be a really good song. It may actually play out. I mean, I don't know. If, if, if you're into songwriting, you could write a song and... Maybe it could become a really big hit. If you don't know what that song is, I am happy that you don't. But it's so fascinating that in the midst of this, previously they get defeated. They went to war with everything that they had. They lost. This time around, God just shows up, gives a loud thunder, and it says chaos took place. They got totally confused, and God's people tracked them down and gave them a beating. Time and time again, when God's people place their hope in these other gods, the nation falls apart. But when they repent, when they turn back, God, time and time again, saves them and rescues them. And like I said, you might, you might be sitting there thinking, well, this seems a little bit unfair. I thought, I thought that the Lord is just just a great big teddy bear, and he always just loves his people regardless of what they do. What you will see time and time again is that God does pull back from his people. You want these other gods? Romans says he will turn you over to your sin. Meaning, if this is what you want, you can have this. But there will be consequences. I'm not going to be there to save you. I'm going to let the battle play out, and I won't, I won't be with you. And you see that play out time and time again. But then God's people, then God's people say, man, we gotta, we got to get rid of these idols. we got to get rid of these gods. And they turn back wholeheartedly to the Lord. And the Lord rescues them time and time again. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, Pastor, how does this deal within our culture? You may or may not know this, but Within our culture, within specifically America culture, uh, they have actually done a lot of research on what churchgoers believe these days. And it's actually quite fascinating. Did you know that six in ten, six out of ten churchgoers, this is according to the Pew Research, six out of ten churchgoers in America believe in at least one New Age 
religion, belief. They've studied the Americans, and they have come to realize that there is these new age beliefs within our culture that are so common within our world that actually people who attend church buy into them. Now you might be thinking, well, what are these four that we are talking about? The Pew looked at these four. Reincarnation, astrology, psychics, and the presence of spiritual energy in physical objects like mountains, trees, and water. Now, these things are super popular within our culture. Have you ever, ever heard of the zodiac sign? Has anyone ever asked you that question? Hey, what's your zodiac sign, right? Well, I actually had to look up mine. I'm a Libra, and uh, newsflash, had no idea, had no idea. Uh, and then I looked it up like, well, what does this mean? It says Libra is an air sign representing by the symbol of the scales, Libras are known to be lovers, both romantic and artistic. Hmm. They struggle with indecisiveness and struggle to commit, likely connected with their desire to maintain harmony and peace. So the next time I'm indecisive and unwilling to commit, I'll just be like, I'm just a Libra, right? Like, I just can't help it, right? Like, I'm, I'm a Libra, that's my sign, that's just who I am, and, uh, you know, you just have to kind of deal with it. My wife is also a Libra. <laughs> I hope she does. No. Guys, I bring this up a little bit tongue-in-cheekly here, but the reality is, is we have people that claim to be Christians, that claim to be followers of Jesus, and yet they buy into a lot of this New Age stuff. Crystals, zodiac signs, horoscopes, all this other New Age garbage, to be honest with you. It's the New Age religion that we are living in. Now, Pew Research also found out that this, I'm not trying to pick on women, but they said that most, it more happens to fall into women in this category, that a lot of women buy in to these signs more so than men. But what do we do, church? How do we bow down to the Lord only? How do we serve him only? Because that's ultimately the challenge throughout Scripture, is don't let these cultural gods, and we have cultural gods. Zodiac signs, that's just simply one of them. But I remember growing up in the 90s in psychics. You could call 1-800 numbers and have, uh, I forgot her name. She was that Jamaican black lady on TV. Does anyone re remember this in the 90s? Anyone? Cleo, thank you. But that was like super popular. Do you know how many people? Cleo made like millions of dollars because this is what is so interesting. Many people within our culture claim to be spiritual, right? Like that phrase is super common. Well, I'm just a spiritual being. What does that even mean, first of all? Like, do you believe in spirits? Do you believe in something? It's like, well, I'm, I'm just spiritual, so I'm, I'm connected to the spiritual realm, which that comes in. They believe in the mountain has a spirit, and when I'm by the water, the water has the spirit, and I'm just connecting with all of these things. It's all new age garbage, church. That's literally like what it is, and so many people like buy into it. But who is the Lord God Almighty? Who is the King of Kings? Who is the Lord above all lords? 
Who's the creator? Who's the beginning and the end? Who created you? Your zodiac sign did not create you. But yet, why do so many people look at that stuff? You know that there are people that wake up every single day, read their zodiac sign, and that will determine whether or not they're going to have a, a, a good day. My zodiac sign yesterday told me, don't spend money today. Could be a bad one. I thought, I thought, how many people buy into this stuff? How many people who attend church buy into this stuff? When the command that Samuel gives is saying, listen, get rid of all your idols. Get rid of them. Have nothing to do with them. But so often, guys, churchgoers are the same way God's people were back then. Nothing has really changed. When crisis strikes, I need the Lord. I got cancer. Lord, save me. Lord, I lost my job. Help me. But then the rest of the time, we're buying into all these other cultural gods and believing it. And, and just like we are tying too many things in to who the Lord is. That's what God's people did back then. It was like we believe in the Lord, but we also, I mean, we, we just do a couple of offerings to Baal and a couple of this and a couple of that. It's no big deal, really. And God's like, there's one Lord. There's one. Who are you going to serve? Who are we going to serve, church? I truly, truly mean that. Because it's so easy to let this culture influence us, right? And guys, there are so many, so many cultural gods. You could be chasing the God of money right now. That's, that's a cultural God. You think that somehow money is going to solve a bunch of your problems. It's not true. Billionaires die every, every single day and their greatest regret was not that they wanted more money. They regret so many things because their lives were falling apart at the seams. But we chase these other gods as a culture. Now, and I just want to challenge us today, church. Who do we serve? Who do we serve only? Do we serve the Lord of Lords only? Or have some of these cultural gods influenced us? If you do look at your zodiac sign, get rid of it. That zodiac sign does not define who you are as a believer. The Bible is very, very clear. You who trust in Jesus, you become a child of God. The old is gone, the new has come. And I think, church, it is our job to remind ourselves daily of this. Lord, help me to serve you and you alone today. Help me, Lord, not to buy into these cultural gods and these cultural things that are among us. But Lord, it's you. I want you to stand and I want to pray for you this morning here. Pray for me as well. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up and to sing the song, Hymn of Heaven. I think that would be an excellent way to be ending today. But I want to pray, Father... Father, seal our hearts for you. Father, help us to not walk as your people did in the past. Father, help us to love you alone. Lord Jesus, you did everything for us. You went to that cross for us. You died for us. Father, I, I just pray, Lord, that our hearts would be sealed with you today. Lord, 
if there is things that we are trusting in other than you, Lord, help us to get rid of them. Father, I thank you that you are patient with your people. I thank you, Lord, that every time your people turn back to you, Lord, you met them. Father, I praise you for your word. Father, as we sing this morning, Lord, may you seal our hearts for you. I ask this now in Jesus' name.